three, two, one. What's up, Dialed fam? Welcome to episode 146 of the Dialed Health podcast. My name is Derek Teal. I'm the owner and head coach here at dialedhealth.com. And on today's episode, we are talking all about back pain, specifically low back pain that you experience on the bike while you're riding. Joining me is Josh Rasmussen, aka Coach Josh. And we get into the nitty gritty about what causes back pain on the bike and the protocol that you can implement very specifically so that you can correct this. Now, we do differentiate between back pain that you experience on one side, specifically opposed to your entire back, and we're going to give you some exercises to help improve that off the bike, but we're also going to talk about your riding position on the bike, which has been a really new thing for me diving into it, at least from the perspective of road riding and spending more time in endurance categories, because in the past, it's been very obvious as to why a hip hinge, for example, is so necessary while descending a mountain bike. But I've realized recently how important this is to your actual climbing, specifically standing climbing on the bike, and what you can do to make sure that you have a proper hip hinge while you're climbing. Also, we're going to talk about core bracing. And then this conversation goes into a full-on motivational rant, which is actually why we don't have the weekly thoughts this week. I feel like I got it all out in this conversation with Josh, and I'm so proud of this because I think not only are you going to learn a lot of practical steps to help cure your back pain that you're experiencing on the bike. But hopefully we get you so fired up that you start doing it immediately after the episode ends or even before it's over. So I hope you guys love this episode. Thank you so much for listening. And if you could do me a favor and please rate and review this podcast on the Apple Podcast app, you can drop it five stars and just say anything positive about the podcast. You can also share that you're listening to the podcast on your Instagram story. Simply screenshot that you're listening to the episode, post it and tag myself. You can also tag Josh. I'll be sure to include his Instagram handle in the description and that'll give us an opportunity to repost it. And lastly, go to dialedhealth.com and start strength training today. We're going to refer to specific workouts and programs that you can actually use to help correct your back pain from the website and from the app. So go there, start training, and become the strongest and healthiest cyclist possible. Now, without further ado, let's dive into the episode. Uh, How that could happen. (laughs) But let's first talk about the general idea of back pain on the bike because we should explain at least why this is probably happening for most people. And then we can dive into how to fix it both in the short term and in the long term. So what would be your general explanation for someone feeling back pain in the moment on the bike? Frankly, it probably comes down to a weak, weak core or the muscles of your core aren't engaging. They're not turned on and activated the way they ought to be. And your low back essentially is, is compensating for that. And and by compensation, you mean essentially that the low back muscles, which we can talk about in a second, are working harder than they should, and therefore you're feeling it that way as well. Like they're working on overtime to make up for or to compensate for the core. Correct. Correct. And I think another thing to consider that, that would go into that is the position you're in when you're on the bike. Like we're hunched over flex at the hips so pelvis is already kind of pulled downwards like into that tilt so like the low back muscles are already kind of put on a stretch the bigger muscles of your glutes and essentially your your lower abs are kind of turned off um maybe maybe not necessarily turned off but it's harder to engage them from that position 
um, if you're not conscious of it. And so your low back is just taking the heat, trying to make up for the work that those muscles ought to be doing. Yeah. And it's something I've explained on a few, even Instagram posts in the past, we have full guided workouts for it on the website, but a lot of them aim at engaging your core and activating your lower abs in particular, and also getting some glute activation as well, because the abs and the glutes are really muscles that can take the heat off of your low back if they're firing properly. And this is a reason why a lot of cyclists will change positions on the bike, you know, go from seated to standing. A lot of times it's to just get different muscle groups working. And pro, you know, when you extrapolate that out, sitting, standing, sitting, and standing, it helps you be more comfortable on the bike for longer. But a lot of people will just try and ride, 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 ride when the position that you talked about being hunched over almost makes it impossible to strengthen those muscles that need to be firing without doing work off of the bike because of the position that you're in. It's like, how are you going to sufficiently work your glutes if you're on the bike? And someone who has activated glutes might say, oh, you just stand and then, you know, you kick your leg back a little bit further in each pedal stroke. And that's correct. But if you don't have glutes that are, act, like, that are actually firing, you're never going to be able to just turn those things on periodically on the bike, or they're not going to happen, you know, uh, subconsciously the way that you ultimately would want them. And that's where really the training off the bike comes into play, which is you trying to make this movement autonomous so that you don't have to think about it and that the muscles are just firing the way that you would want. And so if you were someone, if someone came to you experiencing back pain on the bike, what would be like, let's just say you had this person uh, in person, like you actually were doing a one-on-one -on -one session with them. What is like the protocol that you would take them through to really try and get more specific on where they should put their time and energy? Um, well, so starting off the bike, I think, big thing is starting just with general range of motion, um, making sure that, um, they have optimal flexibility and mobility of their quads, like specifically like their rec fem. So like the way I would test out with somebody is just have you lay on your belly and basically do a quad stretch, try to take your heel to your butt and see if there's any shortness in your rec fem, your rectus femoris. It's like the main quad and hip flexor muscle. Um, cause that's a really common thing with a lot of cyclists is that thing, like the hip flexors are so adaptively short, like it's a position, like the hunched over position of being on a bike. Um, we spent a lot of time there and those muscles just kind of get stuck in that position. And so that's going to pull your pelvis forward. Think like the front of your pelvis down, um, and just start yanking on your low back. So that's number one, I think making sure that pelvic positioning um, and even pelvic mechanics that somebody knows how to do a posterior tilt and can flatten their back into the ground. I think that's really important too. Um, and then I would use, Josh, do you like, mind if I, do you mind if I jump in on this real quick? Because when you just sure. described tight hips, pulling the pelvis forward, it may, it gave me the visual of the quadratus laborum, the QL muscle yeah. that really can get pissed off. Uh, for people like a lot of times, this is probably the muscle that you guys are feeling type in just QL back and you guys will see a visual of this and it connects like the top of your pelvis essentially up to like your rib cage and it like i'm getting that right right should i pull up a photo and double check it's yeah, been a while yeah, yeah i got that right it connects it, it's at, been your, a bit at your lumbar yeah and so 
that is a muscle that if you did have your pelvis tipped forward, it would be getting pulled on. Right? Wouldn't that make sense? That it would be kind of like stretched. And yeah. And also just for people that get a better visual, it's so common to have tight hip flexors, which is the front part of your hip, uh, because you are in a flexed position on the bike constantly and you're contracting. You're contracting, contracting, contracting close to a hundred times, if not more, every single minute. And so it's like if you don't take some time off of the bike to do the opposite, you're just going to contract yourself into this permanent tightness. And I don't know if it could, I don't know what else kind of logic to give you guys. It's like, <laughs> we need some yin and yang here. If you want your body to work, you can't expect to put it in this repetitive, abusive motion constantly and not do the counter opposite and, and expect your body to feel good. So anyways, I can tell I'm going on a rant. I just wanted to say that your visualization <laughs> of the pelvis being pulled forward from tight hip flexors, it just like made the connection of like, oh, this is probably another reason why your QL is getting so pissed off in your back just because of the connection point on the pelvis. So anyways, yeah. you would have someone do that test. And so like if they couldn't get their heel to their butt, is that what would tell you that it's too tight? Or how do you know from that test that they need to open up their hips or quads? Uh, potentially that's, that's just one thing to look for. Um, but I find with a lot of cyclists and a lot of men, especially because women tend to be a little bit more flexible and mobile than men do. Um, so a lot of men most likely they wouldn't be able to get their heel to their butt, or, or if that's something that I'm seeing, then it's like, okay, we need to focus on some foam rolling and stretching of the quads and the hip flexors. Um, and then from there going into a kind of roll somebody onto their back and then test, um, their ability to engage their, their, um, I guess if you want to say lower abs, but, um, to, to do a posterior tilt. So think like if you're lying on your back, knees bent, feet flat, being able to scoop your belly button up towards your chest and flatten your back into the ground. I know the posterior tilt is something we talk a lot about in the dialed health programs. Um, yep. and it's one of the first things that we have to coach people on, um, because getting that neutral spine and getting you to engage your lower abs um, that's going to be the other really important thing, um, to kind of counteract that pull to your pelvis. And then same thing with, um, more like hip, hip thrust, glute engagement. Those are typically the three big things like testing for <clears throat> short, tight hip flexors, stretching them out, foam rolling them to release some tension there. Um, lower abdominal engagement, your ability to do a posterior tilt, and then getting more strength into your glutes. I think those are the three big things. And <clears throat> To go back to what you had mentioned with your QL, um, yeah, I, I think that that's something I've actually experienced quite a bit. Um, and for somebody who may not know like what that feels like, if you have low back pain, but it's kind of isolated to your left or right side a little bit more, it's probably your QL that's being stretched on that side. Um, and most likely that side is, is working harder. Um, like your, your quads working harder, if this makes sense. So like for, for myself, I know my left leg is not quite as strong as my right. So when I'm pedaling, I have to be really conscious of, um, making sure that I am pushing down through the pedals with my left side, because I'll pull from my left side in the pedal strokes. So and my left hamstring is a lot tighter 
but my left quad's having to work overtime because it's not as strong as my right leg. And so it's just pulling my pelvis, not only down into that anterior tilt, but kind of tilting it to the side too, like to the right side. So because my right side's stronger and that left side isn't strong enough to keep up and it's just yanking on my lower left side. So whatever, mm. it's very common for people to have, um, I think everybody has some sort of, um, strength balance issue from left to right side, whether it's your upper body and your shoulders or your lower body and your legs. Um, so again, I'm pretty right side dominant, but, um, when it comes to being on the pedals and like cycling, I pull more with my hamstring on my left side than I do my quad. And it, that in combination with my right leg as a whole being stronger, just pulls my pelvis into an anterior tilt and to the right just a little bit and yanks on my low back. So I don't know if that visual yeah. helps or if everybody's able no, to track with that. But. It, it's a good explanation. And I, I think it will resonate with a lot of people I've talked to who are hopefully listening to this podcast because I think people can isolate the pain typically to one side. And so it's, it's good to hear some bit of an explanation for that. And so what if someone was experiencing pain across their whole back? Like they can't really say it's more left or right. What if it's like this whole thing is just lit up? Does that mean that it's your, the erectors, which are like the muscles that go up and down the left and right of your spine? Are those the, the muscles that are probably like pissed off or, or what do you think is the cause there? Potentially I'd, I'd say I'd put more of the focus on just lower ab strength and glute strength, um, and really like equally stretching out and, and mobilizing your quads on both sides. Um, I <laughs> yeah. think that, I think it just comes down to general core strength. I think that's, that's the biggest thing if it's just in general. Um, so then, okay. So that, that does seem a little bit more simple. So then it, if it, if it is isolated to one side, like you're saying and experiencing what's the move then. So like, obviously you're a trainer, you're very in tune with your body. I hope everyone listening makes an effort to be in tune with your body because we have data for everything. But at the end of the day, you guys need to be able to feel what is happening with your body. If you can't, it's like your, your own proprioception is like your own sp- a body's awareness of space and like time. So it's like you, for you to actually take a breath and be like, okay, I can feel that this muscle is tight. I can feel that my quads work harder on my right leg, but my hamstring pulls harder on my left leg. And now I feel my low back lit up. And for you to go down that thought process is very important because it applies to everything else that you'll do on the bike, in the gym. You know, I still remind myself before I do deadlifts to brace my core. I still remind myself to weight my heels and squeeze my glutes every single time I pick that bar up and, or whatever it may be, even with kettlebell swings. And so you have to continually give yourself those cues. And so, you know, this is almost becoming another rant, but it's my encouragement to say, make sure you're taking time to actually feel your body. Don't just get frustrated and feel like you're broken because most likely there is probably an answer. So Josh, for you, feeling that QL tightness, like on your left side, what is your protocol from that point to try and correct it? Yeah. Well, I think you nailed it first off. I think it starts with awareness because a lot of, a lot of us probably don't even stop to think about these things. Like, okay, am I pushing more like through my quad on my right side or am I pulling more with my hamstring? And, and 
um, or, or on my left side, vice versa. I think just starting to think about those things and where you're feeling your body working harder and where you don't quite feel as strong, the, the spot that probably, and, and here, here's a good thing, like a good one to go off of the spot that probably hurts probably is the weaker side. If you're having pain, because it's trying to play catch up, it's, it's having to work overtime. Um, um, so yeah, I think, so I'll, I'll continue to use myself as an example since we already went down that. So, um, my left hamstring chronically is, is a lot tighter because I tend to pull more with my left. And so I've had to be very conscious of working on things like split squats or single leg squats, um, or like, like a Bulgarian split squat, um, things like that to try to isolate my left quad and strengthen my left quad. And then do the same thing like staggered stance, Romanian deadlifts for my right side, because my right hamstring isn't quite as strong as my right quad. Um, and everything's just kind of pulling me down to one side. Um, so I think a combination of core strength, things like hollow body holds and dead bugs, things like hip thrusters and glute bridges. And we can do both we call unilateral and bilateral strengthen both sides, like do single leg hip thrusts, do standard hip thrusts, like do variations that isolate both sides. Like, let me reword that, that isolate one side at a time and that work both sides at the same time. Um, do you mind if I yeah. add a little, <clears throat> add a little, uh, specific protocol for people? If you are going to do a single leg movement to really isolate, uh, strengthening one part of your body, like, let's just say you're like, okay, I need to make my quad a little bit stronger on my left side. And I need to make my hamstrings a little bit stronger on the right side. So then Josh, would you have a person or even yourself do more reps on one side or more weight on one side than another? Cause I know that people will give me this question. I'm kind of curious as to what you would, what you would say to that. Like if someone says, Hey, you know, I'm going to do single leg Romanian deadlifts. My left hamstring is weaker. Should I do more reps or more weight on that side? What do you think to that? I'd say start with more reps. Um, I think it depends on the phase of training you're in. Like if you're really trying to build like max strength, then maybe you do more weight, but I, th I think it's best to start with more reps and it could be as simple as, um, do an extra set on your weaker side. Um, so if we're doing yeah. like split squats, for example, and I know I need to work on my left side, then I'm going to do two sets on my right and I'm going to do three on my left. I'm going to start with that left side. And then finish with my left side, if that makes sense. Just sometimes that extra set and not going any heavier on that side that's more dominant. So if I'm going to do split squats with, we'll say I have like 50 pound dumbbells in my hand on my right side, and I can only do like 40s on my left, I'm going to do it with 40s. Like don't make the stronger side any stronger. Allow that weaker side to catch up. Dude, that was exactly what I was going to say start with the weaker side and pick the weight that suits that side and allow the stronger side to just have a lighter load. Essentially, it'll feel harder on that one side. It'll be easier on the other side. Uh, but that's okay. Because like you said, it's going to give your weaker side a, somewhat of an opportunity to catch up. And if you did just start and end with the same side, it would mean that you got extra reps or like one more set on that weaker side. And I like that little cue. I honestly never really thought about that. 
Uh, so that's probably something I'll implement in the future or even, you know, recommend for somebody uh, if they have a really obviously dominant side and a weaker side. So, so that is really good. I like that. Now let's jump back to the person who is experiencing just low back pain in general. They can't really isolate it to one side or another. I really want to go into glute bridges and why this workout is so perfect. But I know that you, when I, when I was talking about the repetitive contraction of the hip flexors and doing those contractions, you know, 80 to let's just say 110 times a minute, what your pedaling cadence is, I could see you like wanting to say something. What was that? Yeah. So, um, basically like you nailed it, like we're doing hundreds of contractions, but it's not through a full range of motion. And I think that's another really key thing when it comes to low back pain, both on and off the bike is a lot of times we're missing range of motion, especially at the hips as cyclists. Um, like if you think about how high your knee comes and how much you flex your hip when you are turning the pedals versus like, if you're just standing, I should be able to pull, or at least pretty much anybody should be able to pull their knee almost up to their chest and they should be able to pull their knee down and behind their hip. Well, when you're on the bike in a flex hip position, it's just kind of going up and down through a much smaller uh, window, if that makes sense. So this is where I think not only stretching your hip flexors, but strengthening your hip flexors through a full range of motion could be another really important thing to do. And I actually like two kind of shameless plugs on this one. I just posted something about this on my Instagram on hip flexor strength and a couple really practical exercises you can do to kind of counteract that. So one of my favorites right now um, is like a lying cable knee in. So you're lying on your back, hands at your side, low back pressed into the ground and you have um, a strap connected to a cable machine or, or you could even use a band and it's wrapped around your foot and you're basically fully extending your leg and then driving your knee all the way up to your chest. And it's actually like a pretty gnarly ab workout. Um, <laughs> so I think that's another element of core strengthening that could be missing. And, and this is something that's in the first phase. It might even be like the very first day of the total body corrective exercise program. Like there's a reason I wanted to include that in there. Um, so I guess that'd be shameless plug number two, go check out the total body corrective exercise program. Cause this is something that we tried to address and really carefully select exercises that would help people with issues like low back pain. Well, it's interesting. You talk about strengthening your hip flexor because it's almost a knee jerk reaction to say, Oh, you know, you are contracting over and over your hips must be strong, but that's not necessarily true. Like a lot of times, just because something is tight and overused doesn't mean that it's strong. And so for you to actually work the same muscle, but in a full range of motion and to also get the ab engagement, because the closer that knee comes to your chest, the more you're going to be contracting your stomach. That's a double whammy. And what I think a lot of people might notice is that maybe even if they have a fluid range of motion with their knee, as soon as you add the load, you may not have the strength. Like for example, when you get past a certain degree of flexion on movements, you can notice your strength decrease rapidly. Like this is probably the most prominent in like a squat, for example. You know, if you're someone who's done half squats or quarter squats, or maybe you've never gone past parallel, there's you could be extremely strong up until that point. And the second you go an inch further, it feels like you almost lose all strength. Like you almost have no control at that point. 
And so it's, it's good to work full range of motion for a couple of reasons. For one, it leads to healthier muscle and healthier, just body mechanics. Uh, but also you can get a level of mobility work while you're strength training if you are doing full range of motion exercises. <clears throat> so this actually goes back into my uh, plug on the glute bridge perfectly because think about what you guys would do with a barbell glute bridge. You have your shoulders on a bench or like your shoulder blades. You have a barbell in your lap. You're driving through your heels and you're squeezing your butt to press your hips up in the air. Now, if you push your hips as high as they can go and you squeeze your butt the entire time and you start pushing up toward parallel or even past a little bit, like if you're hypermobile, you don't have to go that far past it. There is a, there is an extreme. You can overdo this. Uh, also disclaimer, you don't always have to work full range of motion. This is one of those things people take to the extreme. They're like, I have to do it on every exercise. And then they see a video of Kate Courtney doing quarter squat explosive, whatever reps. And they think it's bad, but it's not, it's just different stuff. Just make sure I would say the majority of your strength training should be full range of motion. Uh, but for you to do that glute bridge, it's like you're squeezing your butt. You're getting all the work that you want from the glute strengthening, the hamstring strengthening, but you're also stretching your hips. Every single rep, you're getting that little stretch. You're getting that little stretch. You're getting more time in that position that your body is going to adapt to. So that's why it can be such a positive thing to work full range of motion. And I think including the hip flexor exercises is genius. In fact, when I do hip flexor exercises, I do feel like my ability to pull on the upward part of the pedal just becomes so much more uh, natural. And I feel stronger. I feel like I have a smoother circle in my pedal stroke. Uh, and one of my favorite ways to actually train my hip flexors and this works your abs like crazy. This is like a total body. This is kind of an advanced version of, I, I don't know if you did, you did do this actually on your uh, post that you're talking about, but it's, it's a vertical hang. So you're hanging from a pull-up bar, you have packed scapula. So you're working your back and then you have a kettlebell or there's a, a variety of different weights that you can use. Uh, but I like to hook my toe under a kettlebell handle, and then you use that for hip flexions while you're hanging. So you have the extra load on your grip. You have your back working, you have your core working and your hip flexor. I mean, that's a money workout right there. If you do, let's yeah. just say your, your blow back is not happy and you're very experienced in the gym, go do some barbell glute bridges and then go do some hanging hip flexors. Uh, hip, what would you call that? A hanging uh, hanging knee flexion, knee raise. Yeah. Hanging yeah. knee raise. Thank you. Um, that's, that's a beautiful, beautiful combo for you right there. Totally. Totally. And, and I think, yeah, you nailed it with, with barbell glute bridges or any kind of glute bridge, hip thrust variation, we're training the hips into extension, which is what we want. And I know we were saying earlier, like we want to stretch our hips too. Like it all kind of goes hand in hand. Like you want to stretch your hip flexors. You want to train them through barbell glute bridges and hip thrusters into that extension position. Um, but just because we're stretching them and they're tight doesn't mean we don't want to strengthen them into flexion too. It is important to strengthen them through that full range of motion in the flexion. Yeah. So not to go against what we were saying earlier. Um, yeah, I, I think you, you absolutely nailed that. And that's a killer exercise combo. 
Yeah, it really is a good combo, and I think it's going to help a lot of people. Um, obviously, there's regressions of that. You can go body weight. Uh, you can do the laying uh, knee flexion. And so what I want to talk about now is translating that to the bike and the the cues that you have to give yourself. We, we talked about it a little bit earlier uh, just with cues on the bike, but this is something that came to my attention recently after seeing a, an, an Instagram post by the, uh, I want to say it's the team director of education first, Zach Morris. Got to give credit where credit's due. He does some really good movement videos and, and posture videos for the bike just to have better riding position. And so he did a video of his back essentially super round on the bike and he's hunched over and he's standing on a climb. And then he makes the correction of sticking his butt back and flattening his back. And you could see it from really his shoulder blades all the way down to his tailbone. And when I saw that, it was like, oh my gosh, dude, I've been so focused over all these years on a hip hinge for descending a mountain bike. And I've never thought about how much it applies to climbing on a road bike or even being in a uh, sprinting, any, any type of standing position on the road bike. Uh, now you can, I don't know if we're going to go into all the seated position options, but let's just focus on standing for now. I think once you have good core strength and you have good glute strength, your ability to hold a proper hip hinge on the bike is like absolutely mandatory if you want to eliminate your back pain for the future. And so when you guys are on the bike, it might even after you do all these exercises make you think, okay, it might take you to actually say, okay, you have to ask yourself, what am I, what position am I in right now? Is my back out sticking? Is my back flat? Is my butt kind of sticking out? Am I in a hip hinge? And do I have core engagement? If you're doing those things while you're standing and climbing, your back is not going to get mad. It's just it like, it's like your body won't let it get pissed off. So, I mean, what do you think about that, Josh? Is there anything I'm missing there? No, no, I think it's, I think you're nailing it. Um, the importance of being able to, um, hold a proper hip hinge position. And I think translating that, not just from a mountain bike, I think you're right. We think about it a lot well, being on a mountain bike, because it's more natural to be standing and even like hanging off the back of the bike a little bit and the bars are wider, like we're kind of just naturally set up to be in a better hip hinge position or if anything, like in the gym, it's like, it basically perfectly replicates like a staggered stance hip hinge. Um, mm -hmm. but while from a seated position on the road bike, we don't always think about that. And again, I think it goes back to what we mentioned about just, just being aware of it. Um, and I think we had talked about this in one of the episodes we did with Ryan fair on core strength, but your core should kind of be on at all times, not like fully flexed, but 10, 20%, like think about keeping that tightness around your trunk at all times while you're on the bike. Um, and it, it requires conscious effort. I think that's the number one, or that's another thing to really consider, um, in terms of posture to go along with what yeah. you're saying. Yeah, it's it's a dimmer switch. It really is. I think we mentioned that on that episode where your your abs aren't either on or off. It has to be a dimmer. And if you can't you, if you can't learn that because it does take a little bit of learning uh how to brace your core while you're breathing hard, how to brace your core while you're putting down power through your legs. Um a lot of this again can be taught through the gym 
and through lining up your breath while you're doing movements in the gym, because it's such a controlled environment. You know, it's probably funny. People probably yeah. think I'm just trying to take everything back to the gym, even when it doesn't make sense. But the truth is like the fact that it's a controlled environment and you don't have to worry about falling over necessarily. I mean, there's always a chance you could do that, but when you're on the bike, there's a lot going on. And so it's hard to learn these new things. And so for you to have, let's just say 10% engagement while you're in the saddle, and then you stand up for a sprint and now you're your core is engaged 30 to 40%, or maybe you're just climbing and it's 20%. I mean, that really is so important to make sure that this back pain doesn't pop up. And I'll say that I definitely have this down and it's extremely rare that I will feel back pain. I mean, at least in the last few years, the place I still get it occasionally is on very uh, technical climbs. And I feel like this is very common for a lot of people where let's just say, I, I, okay, I, I noticed a little bit in the rock cobbler gravel race because we were, we were on a climb that was so muddy and slick that it got to a point where everyone just had to get off and walk. But I tried to go as long as I could. And when you're trying to put down power and then you get off balance and you patch out, it's very easy for you to start getting your, like, my, like that's the one place I think my back kind of gets angry. Or if I'm on a super punchy technical, uh, climb on the cross country bike or even the trail bike. Um, I can feel a little back pain from time to time. And it's usually one of those things that I can correct because it pops up. And then what do I think right away? Oh, I'm not engaging my core. Why am I not engaging my core? Well, it's probably because I'm thinking about how tech, like I'm not, it, it's, there's so much other things going on. And all it is now, when I feel any back pain on the bike, that pain is a cue to brace my core and to make sure that my hip hinge position, if I am standing, is is on point. And as soon as I do that, it, it will go away within minutes. And so I'm bringing that up because I'm not going to sit here and say that just because you do all the things right, you're never going to experience back pain. But I think you can get to the point where I'm at right now, where even on a hundred and whatever mile ride, if you start getting a little back pain flared up, it's just a cue to brace your core and then it's resolved again. I think that's an incredible point. I, I think that's so, so good. And it goes back to what you were saying about like, not that we're just continuing to plug the gym here because this is what we do, but we've talked about like, okay, we got to be aware. Like it starts with consciousness and being aware of like kind of bracing your core at all times, but the beauty of the gym and week in, week out consistently training your core is that becomes almost automatic. And like to where you don't even have to worry about, okay, is my core strong enough? Yes, it is in time. Like, yes, you will get to a point where you can handle heavy days on the bike. And then anytime you're experiencing pain is like exactly like what you said. It's more of a cue to brace your core when you are in a really technical spot and you're having to work a lot harder and it's much harder to maintain that brace core position or that, that like brace neutral position. Um, and I think for that, like, I know we had mentioned, you know, the barbell hip thrusts and the hanging knee raises, like don't underestimate the value of, if you want to call these like the basic exercises, like planks, hollow body holds, dead bugs, pal off presses. Those are some of the best exercises you can do to autonomously build core strength, um, in a way that's And if you're. If you're listening to this and you think planks are basic, I'm going to challenge you to say that you might not be doing it right. I'll tell you 
90% of the time I see someone in a plank, they don't have a posterior tilt and they have this arch in their low back and they're not engaging their abs the way that they should be. And so I'm going to just throw it out there. If you guys want to test your posterior, uh, uh, posterior tilt, test your plank, make sure it's proper, get into a plank position. And I always say raise and then tuck, raise your butt up and then tuck. That's the cue I'd have to give to most people if we're doing planks in person. I'd have to, it was lift and tuck. I think that's what it was because first you see somebody, they're an interior pelvic tilt. They have that crazy low back arch and their hips are kind of sinking. If they're in that position though, and you say posterior tilt, they'll do it, but then their hips are way too low. So if you get them to lift their butt up first, and then they get to do the posterior tilt, it aligns their back and puts them in that perfect position. So if you're listening to this, that's your little challenge is film yourself directly from the side. You can send it to me. I'll tell you if your plank sucks or I'll tell you if it's great. Send it to Josh. Uh, (laughs) We'll be ruthless on you. Just like everyone is on me when I post a video of myself on the row machine. (laughs) So, so yeah, you guys can do that. We will be happy to confirm uh, whether or not it's a great plank. And I wanted to finish with a practical stretch that someone can do for their low back when they're riding or even at home. And it's a QL stretch and doing this, let's just say you're out on the bike and you get to a point where you need to stop because your back pain is so bad, or let's just say you're kind of feeling it and you happen to be at a coffee uh, stop or whatever, and you can get this stretch in doing the stretch is important before you focus on the bracing because it gives you temporary relief and then it doesn't get as bad once you start bracing after that. Like the little bit of stretch, it's like the order that you do it in can make a big difference. And so my recommendation would be for you to do what is like a QL stretch. And if you were standing, this would essentially be a wide leg hamstring stretch. So I'd put your feet wider than your shoulders, toes are straight. And then you're going to hang forward in a hamstring stretch. And then you're going to reach toward your opposite foot with your opposite arm. So let's just say my left low back, AKA the left QL is super tight and angry. I'm going to get in that wide leg position. I'm going to hang forward. And then I'm going to reach toward my right foot with my left hand. Doing it with the opposite is important because that's what's going to stretch your low back. Now you could feel your hamstring in this a little bit. Uh, absolutely. If you want to get even more isolated to your low back, you could bend your knees a little bit in this position, and that will take a lot of the hamstring mobility out of it. And then you're really focusing on your low back. And so that would be like the standing version. You can kind of go side to side, you can rock. And if you have the ability to sit, let's just say you're at home after a long day, you can do this from a seated position and you could even throw like a towel or something around your foot, a stretch band, uh, a rope, and then you're atta- you're reaching across your body and doing that same position from seated. And it's just going to be easier to hold that for longer. I would definitely recommend do- holding it for 90 seconds, two minutes, breathe, relax into it, and try and visualize that muscle releasing in your low back. Um, Josh, do you have anything you want to add to that? Yeah, no, I think it's a great stretch. I, I-, I think it's awesome, super practical. Um, and I mean, another variation of that, that I'll do with people sometimes I do it myself is if you're it basically the same thing, you're just seated and if you're in like a 90, 90 position. So you have both your knees bent at a 90 degree angle and you're kind of sit upright. 
whichever way your feet are facing, reach around the opposite direction and just try to lower your mm. chest onto the ground and reach as far as you can. And you can use a band or you can use, um, I don't know, the corner of your bed or like whatever's nearby to grab onto, um, kind of play with a little bit of rotation through that position. And you should feel it going right down one side of your lower back. Cause that's basically where your QL runs. It starts your pelvis and connects kind of up and down one side, kind of runs diagonally up your low back. Um, so I, th I think that could be a very practical stretch, like both of those for, for people. Um, and then just in addition to that's good. what we've talked about with core strength, stretching your hip flexors, training them through a full range of motion. Um, seriously, like go check the post that I have again, shameless plug, go check the posts that I have on hip flexor strength on my Instagram. Like that could give you guys some ideas. Um, I think you have, we have a low back prehab routine, right? I'm not. Yeah, we, we, we do. Uh, no, you're not crazy. Uh, there is a very extensive video with literally everything that we talked about in an actual routine for you guys to do on the website. If you want to go and check it out, guided low back uh, rehab routine. There's also a bonus video, which helps you release your psoas, which we didn't even really talk about on this podcast. It's just kind of crazy. But uh, that could be another reason why your low back is tight. I would say um, it's worth actually trying a psoas release if you've never done it. I almost feel like we should save that because it would take too long to talk about and describe on this. Uh, but that is another potential thing for you to look at. There's also posts I've done on low back pain on my Instagram that give you a very, very like 20 second version of what we talked about. So just make sure that you're being proactive. Don't settle for it. Like you guys don't have to settle for feeling like crap. You, you do not. I don't care how old you are. You know, you're talking to some, or you're not, sorry to everyone listening. You're not talking to anybody right now. I'm just talking to you. This is a one-way conversation. <laughs> but what I'm, I'm telling you, I have had, I've trained people in their mid sixties. I have trained people in their early seventies uh, and had some really good strength transformations, but I've had like the craziest transformations with guys in their mid sixties. And that's just because I've trained more of them. But for someone to look me in, in the eye and say, I'm too old, I'm too this, I'm too that, I, I can't even believe it. I can't even believe it. I mean, and to put that in perspective, I have friends who complain about being 30. What? <laughs> you gotta be kidding me. You should be like almost in your prime still. So that's it. Don't settle for feeling like crap. Don't settle for, you know, I don't wanna say the body that you don't want, but I'm just saying that, you know, you have an opportunity to put in the work. You have the resources uh, via this podcast and via the the website, all these other things out there that can help you. And it's up to you to start moving forward. Try one. Does it work? Check it off the list or you keep going. That's the process. You don't have to have the end figured out. It's one thing at a time. And the more you stack those, the more experience that you have and the closer and closer you get to where you want to be. And that's just what it's going to take. Uh, and that's pretty much it. Don't tell me you can't do it because I don't believe you. I have too much proof. And Josh, I mean, dude, with your clientele right now too, it's like, like how frequently are you just reminded of what I'm talking about after you're working with people in person? It's just like, it's, it's so obvious. Yeah, it, it's crazy. And, and it can be a hard conversation to have sometimes with people like, um, I have, there's one client I have that comes to mind. She's a skier and she's 61. Um, and 
it's like she's committed week in week out to her training and she's very curious. She asks questions. Like if she doesn't know X or Y about a certain thing or like, why is my body hurting here? It's like, okay, let's, let's try to figure this out. Um, and fortunately, like I've been able to kind of help her navigate some pain and now she's skiing pain free and stronger than she's ever been. And it's like, there's, there's ways to figure it out. And like, she's 61. It's, it's really cool to see. Um, and, and fully within her control, obviously, like I just try to provide the guidance. Like she's the one who takes action. Like it's her choice at the end of the day. And I think everybody has that power not to settle. Um, and really it comes down to what you want to prioritize and make time for. Like, I think, I think most people, um, mm -hmm. <clears throat> just settle and there, there's ways to manage your pain, to live a life pain-free and to do the things you enjoy doing. If you simply take the time to seek out, whether it's the professional, um, assistance needed to help you uncover like what exactly it is that we need to work on or, um, building more of a resilient mindset, just telling yourself you can do it. I, I think believing that you are capable of living a pain-free and enjoyable life, um, far, far beyond what it's necessary. you think it, it's, it's so necessary, yeah. not just when you're 30, I think the, the belief is necessary all... for sure. And I think what you said about the curiosity, that is a component of the mindset it takes for you to really get to that next level is just pure curiosity. Um, and a lot of that comes back to that. It's your ability to honestly assess yourself and say, what is good? What is bad? And to have that almost hard conversation with yourself in the mirror and be like, okay, like I have some clarity here. This is not where I want to be. And what is it going to take to improve? Like the more you hide from that process of accountability, the the longer it's going to take, or you're going to settle and you're going to just brush off your age or your whatever position that you're in or whatever excuse that you have as to why you can't have this or that, like that's it, that becomes your story. And you say, well, I would, but I'm too old. Well, I would, but I can't because I don't have the resource. Well, I could, blah, 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 blah. and so, I mean, sure. Are there some things like that are impossible? Yeah, I, 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 I get it. Yeah, I'm not going to be in the NBA. I freaking suck at basketball. I'm not going to go win American Idol or something. I literally have the most horrendous singing voice <laughs> that you would ever, ever hear. Uh, I might give you a run for your insane. money on that one. Um, <laughs> you think so? You think your voice is worse than mine? Maybe we yeah, should I'm, do like I'm a pretty bad. <laughs> maybe we should do like a karaoke and we could let let the people decide whose voice is worse. <laughs> That's what we should do. Let's get a let's go to karaoke with all our friends who have the worst voices and just record the whole thing. <laughs> uh, I might need a oh, shot dude. or two of tequila to get me going to do that. Yeah, a hundred percent. I was just telling somebody. I was like, I it's weird because I'm outgoing, but I hate singing. I would not sing karaoke unless I had a legitimate amount of drinks in me. I don't know what it is. I just like need that barrier broken down. I just don't even want to do it. It's like dancing at a wedding. Like, I don't know. I don't care how much I love you. I don't know if I'm getting out there stone cold sober. Are, are you? Yeah. I mean, probably not. Let's be probably real not. about that. Yeah. Okay. Well, we should no obviously chance. wrap this up, dude. Hopefully you guys are feeling motivated and you can put these, uh, uh, protocols into play. And, uh, 
Josh, thanks for coming on and, and having this discussion, man. Um, of course. really appreciate it. Yeah. As always looking forward to the next one and, uh, I'm gonna start working on my singing voice now. <laughs>